comes to considering the end times, it's easy for many to think it's close at hand, so just sit back, relax, and wait. But as we'll see today from God's Word, we're called to play till the end. Join us for Graceful Truth. And from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, we welcome you. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We find ourselves back in Jeremiah chapter 18 today, focusing on verses 7 through 11, message simply called, Play Until the End. And that indeed is what we are called to do as we consider the end of the age. And that's what we're looking at in this greater series called Shaping Our Future. We would invite you to join us today as we are encouraged to press on, as it were. From Jeremiah chapter 18, here's Pastor Steve Converse in this edition of Graceful Truth. We've been looking at this little series here, Shaping the Future, and I just want to read for us the text out of Jeremiah chapter 18, the first 11 verses there. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as with this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Verse 9, and if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will rebuild or that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. It's one thing if someone says, you know what, I'm not going to forget this. I'm going to get you one day. We probably all dealt with people like that. Can you imagine God saying that to us? I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be repenting pretty quick if that were the case. In the first week, we looked at this message. We, we had a little message called, it's not over till it's over. And we understood that for a variety of reasons. First of all, the potter is at his wheel. God is sovereignly in control of these things. Secondly, the potter can transform a mistake into a masterpiece. Aren't you thankful for that? And then thirdly, God will shape your future if you're willing to be the clay. And so we've been looking at these these messages. Last week, we basically said you have to finish. You have to finish the game. You have to continue. You have to persevere. And we talked a little bit about that. 
And we looked at three principles that will help us finish as believers. First of all, we looked at it's never too late to turn things around. He says that in verses 7 and 8. If at any time, it doesn't matter what's gone under the bridge, how much water's gone under the bridge, how much you've messed up your life, how far along you are in your life, how old you may be, how close to the gates of heaven you are, it doesn't matter. It's never too late to turn things around. You know, I often think of that thief that hung on the cross next to Christ and how those two thieves, both of them, were saying disparaging things about our Lord at the beginning of that little session on the cross. But the one had his heart changed and he simply cried out, Lord, remember me today. That's all he said. And what did the Lord promise him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's never too late We don't understand that. We hear of these electric chair kind of revivals, you know, guys that are going to get the death penalty and, oh, they come to Christ. Oh, yeah, they're just doing it for reasons unknown to us, for to get more attention or something. They're just sick and they deserve death. Well, they may deserve death because they've taken a life. But on the other hand, it's never too late for God to touch a human heart. And if we believe that, that should motivate what? It should motivate our evangelism. It should motivate our ministries here at the church because we want to reach out and we want to see those lives turned around. But secondly, which is not all that good news, last week we said it's never too late to mess things up. (laughs) It's never too late. Don't sit here all pious and thinking, oh, yeah, I've been a Christian for 50 years, you know. It doesn't matter. You could do one wrong thing that could discredit your Christianity, your life, your testimony in the eyes of the people that you've witnessed to for years. And see, and that's why it's so crucial that as believers, we're careful, and we're going to jump back into Romans next week, and we're going to start to learn a little bit about that very subject, how we relate to one another as the body of Christ, because people are watching. And so it's never too late to mess things up. And then the third thing we looked at, just in review, it's never too late to take responsibility for your life. You know, that's really what it boils down to, right? Ownership. There's nothing wrong with messing up now and then, but just own it. Don't blame it on your parents. Don't blame it on your childhood. Just own it. You know, so many times you hear this out of the mouths of people who are actively involved in some kind of sin. Well, you don't understand, you know, the way I was raised or this or that. Now, I get it. That, that has implications. But if you're truly in Christ, if you're truly a believer, what does the Bible say? Behold, All things have become new. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything is new. And so we have to stop ourselves and say, you know what? I'm going to stop making excuses. It doesn't give me the right to act the way I do. And we've all done that on occasion. And so today we're wrapping up this this series. And we want to look at the message. There's still time on the clock. This is a, a series about our future. We've been talking about perseverance up to this point. And it's both encouraging to our hearts, but it's also kind of a a warning as well. It's encouragement because if our life is moving in the wrong direction, there's always time to what? Change it. You can turn that around with the Lord's help, but it's also a warning because you never have the luxury of thinking, oh, I've arrived. As a Christian, I don't have anywhere else to go. I have arrived at the spiritual plateau of oneness with God. And sin doesn't tempt me. Nothing bothers me. 
I'm just the image of Christ here on earth. That's a scary thing to think. Because the Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches, just like the the game of baseball we talked about last week, that you have to play to the final out. You don't have the luxury of, of relaxing, even though you may be 10 runs ahead in the ninth inning. You can't just lay down and say, oh, well, they're never going to come back. Now, you can do that in other sports because they're playing against the clock. But in baseball, it's not that way. And that's how life is. Life, you have to play it to the very end. We're in a battle that will never cease. It will never end this side of heaven. It's a war. It's not going to be over anytime soon, pending the Lord's return. It's kind of like you're running a race With no finish line this side of the grave. The grave is the finish line. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. And this is kind of written by the apostle Paul. And it's written almost right at the halftime in his ministry. It's right at the halftime between his his conversion and his execution. In talking about his ministry he said this in verse 24 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says... Do you not know that in a race, all the, runners, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Our modern day sports teams for children need to learn this. You know, everybody doesn't always get a trophy. Not everybody's a winner. Some people are losers. Some people don't have the skills that other people do. And by granting everybody on the team... A winner, even though they lost, is not helpful. Well, what about their self-esteem? You're not helping their self-esteem by patting them on the head when they had a horrible game and saying, oh, you did wonderful. That's, that's not helping their self-esteem. And so we have to rethink this. And he goes on, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it. Why? To get a crown. What's the motivation? To get a crown that will not last. It's not eternal. Just something temporary. But he says, on the other hand, as Christians, we do it to get a crown that will what? Last forever, for all eternity. Therefore, based on those facts, Paul says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I have a plan. I have a purpose. I do not fight like a man beating the air. Remember, I saw a fight one time. And this guy had like skills of martial arts. And the other guy was just a boxer. And the guy with martial arts came out into the ring and he's doing all this fancy stuff. He's running around. And the other guy's just like this, just following him around. And finally he just went, boom. And the guy with martial arts, he was out. I mean, it looked real good. But what's he doing? He's beating the air. The other guy was just waiting for that prime time just to nail him right in the head. And he just went down like a ton of bricks. Paul says, don't do that. He says, I do not fight like a man beating the air. I have a purpose. No, I beat my body. Look at that. I beat my body. I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. You know, you can be doing wonderful works of ministry and yet yourself be disqualified. Isn't that kind of haunting? That's kind of scary. And Paul says, don't. Don't allow your flesh to allow you that opportunity to be disqualified. One of the shepherds conference, one time somebody asked, I think a question to John MacArthur. And I thought it was kind of a weird question. They they asked him, 
something about how he keeps himself disciplined in life. And I thought, okay, he's going to come out with some profound thing. And you know what he said? He said, you know what? I pass on dessert. What? I take a pass on dessert. Not that I don't want it. I do. But it's just my way of telling my body that, you know what? I'm in charge of this. You're not. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's a good, pretty good thing. Just, just a little reminder. See, Paul was perhaps the greatest Christian. I mean, God used him in an incredible way. Yet he understood that while his ministry was expanding, I mean, he was in a growth spurt that was just incredible. I mean, his influence was far-reaching. He still understood, you know what? I'm nobody. I still have potential to wash out. I still have a potential to fail, to falter, to not finish the race. And you know what? It was only at the end of his life as he awaited in a Roman dungeon in the final paragraphs that he wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. He had the confidence to say, I have fought the what? The good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now, only now, is there in store for me a crown of righteousness. See, that's what we're shooting for. We're waiting for that time when this life is over and we can say, you know what, Lord, I did the best I can. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Welcome me into your presence. Paul would tell us today, play till the very end. Don't give up. Because no lead is ever safe. Be careful what you do. He would also say play to the very end because no loss is ever certain. (laughs) You're not guaranteed to win. You're not guaranteed a loss. No matter what your past looks like, God can redesign your future. I heard a celebrity once say, "I've I've always been a big believer that it's never too late to reinvent yourself or to pick up the pieces and start over when life has thrown you a curveball. It's never too late. See, this is that message that we find in Jeremiah chapter 18. If you're still breathing, guess what? There's hope. There's still time to turn things around. George Eliot, the British author, said it this way. It's never too late to become what you might have been. See, we are all clay on the potter's wheel, are we not? And it's, it's just like the clay here we see in Jeremiah chapter 18 Just like in Jeremiah's story, there are always ways in which our lives have become marred. They become become scarred. They have things in them that don't turn out the way we necessarily planned or even maybe God planned. We made decisions that may have led to disaster. We've done things maybe on occasion where it caused our life to go into a tailspin. And we don't know if we're going to be able to pull it out. In spite of that, it's never too late. The potter is still sitting at the wheel. He can still take our our mistakes and the Bible says shape them into something, as we read last week, something beautiful, something good for his glory. See, we're like that clay that's sitting on that potter's wheel. And your life is being shaped by the hands of the potter. But there's a twist to it. The twist is simply this. You have the say in how shapeable you will be. There are things that you can do that will determine the shape of things to come in your life. Very basic things. I remember watching a potter in this presentation one time, and out of the crowd, he called a, a, probably a teenage boy up, 
And uh, he had this lump of clay sitting there on the potter's wheel. And he said, hey, you ever play with Play-Doh when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. And he said, you want to give it a try? Sure. And he went to sit down. He goes, oh, wait a minute. He goes, you need to put an apron on. And so he got them all geared up. And he sat down at this thing, pushed the foot lever. And this thing started to spin around. And this teenage boy sat there with this fresh, wet lump of clay and proceeded just to make a tremendous mess. I mean, clay was flying everywhere. I mean, it was, he was a mess. And everybody was laughing, you know, and he's trying to keep the thing going. He's pushing it. It's going too fast. And it's, it was just crazy. And finally, the potter came up behind this, this young man and he said, let me give you a hand. He just kind of came up close behind him and he put his hands over his hands around this molding clay. And, and he said, now slow the wheel down a little bit. And he started talking to him and you could see, Wow. This kid's actually starting to make something. But the only reason he was able to do that is because the potter was there encouraging him, guiding his fingers. And you know what? It turned into this, it wasn't incredible, but it was, a, it was a pretty nice vase they made together. And see, that's how life is. God is there right with us along the way. He didn't just check out. He doesn't say, okay, you're on your own. Just spin around there on that, that clay, that potter's wheel. Together, God will mold us as a, as a glob of clay into a piece of art when we cooperate with him. There's a sense in which we participate in that molding process, right? It's the sanctifying process. We get saved. God's begin to work on us. What do we call it? We call it sanctification. What's he doing? He's making us more into the image of his son each and every day. And sometimes those hands apply pressure in places of our life that we do not like. It doesn't feel comfortable to have somebody pushing you and molding you and shaping you into something that he knows what's best. That's, that's never a comfortable thing to be in. But it's a lot more uncomfortable if you fight against it. We had the opportunity, I can't remember where it was, but my wife wanted me to get a, uh, like a, a neck and back massage. And, and we did this massage together kind of a thing. And I remember at first, because I don't like people touching me. I just, you know, so I just kind of did it to be nice. And I remember just, you know, I think it was in Thailand, when there's somewhere. And I remember laying there on this, or Dubai or wherever, it was on this table. I mean, she was with me, just so you know. I mean, it's not something weird going on here. But I was laying there on this table, and I remember this started, you know, working my shoulders. And, and, and I just remember in their accent, you know, you're tight. You're very tight. You know, like, yeah. you know and, and, and the harder she pushed, the more I, she goes, you need to relax. This is not going to be easy if you just keep on tensing up. See, that's how it is when the Lord wants to mold us and shape us. You know, we have to kind of realize, you know what, this potter or this masseuse or whoever's molding us, shaping us, they know what they're doing. They're not just trying to hurt us. They're trying to make us feel better. And so we need to cooperate with that. Um, there's, a, there's a sense in which we participate in that process of molding. We're not helpless victims subject to the whim of circumstance. We're not a, a mere cog in the grand design of, of God somehow. We actually participate. And today I want to talk about what we can do to take part in the shaping of our future. Continuing until the end here, till the time is out. First of all, one of the attitudes or one of the principles that we need in our life 
to allow us to be pliable is to be what? Teachable. We need to be teachable. Look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. Jeremiah had to make a decision. In verse 3 says he made the right decision. He says, So I went down to the potter's house. Now, there's a lot of verses. I wrote some there in your outline, I think. But I just want to go over these quickly because it shows us the importance of being teachable. Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5 says, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Or 1 Peter 5, 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the pride, proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at a proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him, because why? He cares for you. See, part of the resistance to being teachable is what? Pride. You're not going to teach me anything. Who do you think you are? I remember my nephew and I, one time, Blake, the one that's the admiral in the Navy now, we used to go rock climbing together up at Castle Rock together. He lived in Monterey, so he'd drive up from there, and I'd drive from here, and we'd meet there. And we'd go rock climbing, and there's a, there's a, a route over there on the rock, and it's called Farewell to Arms. And it's named after some poetry or something, but we didn't know it at the time. We just thought every time we tried to climb this thing, I mean, our arms were just dead. We just could never make it. And we really didn't know what we were doing. I had a rope and some carabiners and thought we were rock climbers. You know, we had no clue. And so one day we were over there and we were trying to do this. And we finally renamed this route. And we said, you know what? It's not called farewell to arms. It's called farewell to flesh. Because by the time we came home, we were bloody. It was just a mess because we were trying to get up this rock. And I remember one time we were there and we had tried two or three times. And and my nephew was kind of on the rope there and he's going up and... There's this little kind of wimpy looking guy with a little sack lunch sitting on the rock behind us. We didn't even know he was there until he said something. And I don't know how long he'd been sitting there. And finally he goes, hey, you know, if you, if you reach over to your right, and my nephew's hanging on the rock, you know, and he's built like a rock himself. And he looks over, he's like, what? <laughs> what? You know, and so he gets down and he goes, what are you saying? He goes, no, I was just saying, if you reach over to your right in that handhold, then the other one comes rather easy. And my nephew looks at I. We both had the same idea. Like, oh, yeah, like this guy knows. I don't know. Just, just a real geeky looking, skinny looking little wiry guy in glasses. And I thought, this guy, is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so we said, oh, okay, great. Yeah, right. He goes, no, I'm really serious. And he kind of was persistent with it. So finally my nephew goes, well, maybe you'd like to show us. Yeah. Yeah, why don't you show us? Okay. And so this guy comes down. He didn't have rock climbing, he had sneakers on. He didn't tie on the rope, nothing. He walks up to this crack and it's like he disappeared inside and he pops out at the top. We don't know what happened. It was like, we were both just like, whoa, what did he just do? I mean, clearly he had the experience to back up the claims that he was making. But you know what? We weren't at the time teachable, but we were after he showed us he could do it. Well, wait a minute. Now, what were you saying before, you know? And I think he told us a couple things. He goes, you know, I got to get back to work. I got to go. It's like, wait. But not being teachable, being prideful hinders your teachability. 
Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. I'd also like to let you know that our Grace Bible Church Women's Ministry 2018 Spring Conference is coming up. The author and guest speaker will be Cynthia Heald, known best for her best-selling Bible study, Becoming a Woman of Excellence. Now, the conference will take place out of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, Living Like Jesus. It's May 18th through the 19th. Friday the 18th at 7 p.m. through 8.30, and then Saturday the 19th at 9 a.m. through 2.30. It'll take place here at the church, 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Breakfast is included as well as lunch. Total conference cost, just $20, with a love offering taken both Friday and Saturday evening. For more information, visit our website, gracebibleonline.org, or give us a call at 650 650- 366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.